Comments made on the Ceratalk Podcast Network are those of the individuals and do not represent Ceratech Corporation, its staff, management, board of directors, or third-party resellers. It's time for High Contrast, the show where we talk about everything low vision for those folks who are trapped between sight lines. I am Rodney Edgar of TechAccessWeekly.com, and today we have a special episode where Maury Hill of AI Squared's Zoomed In blog, which you can find at AISquared.com slash blog, is going to interview Sue Martin, author of Out of the Whirlpool. This is a very moving book about the struggles of dealing with low vision, blindness, depression, attempted suicide, and a whole lot more. If you would like to check out some information about the book, you can head over to outofthewhirlpool.com. You can check out Sue's blog at suejoelmartin.blogspot.com. That's S-U-E-W-I-Y-G-U-L-M-A-R-T-I-N.blogspot.com. And you can like the book on Facebook by searching for Out of the Whirlpool. If you would like to send us email about this episode, you can do so by dropping us a note over at resources at serotalk.com. And without further ado, I will hand it over to Mari Hill to continue this episode of High Contrast here on the Serotalk Podcast Network. This is a very special High Contrast podcast. I'm here with Sue Martin, author of her most recent book, Out of the Whirlpool, which explains her struggle with depression an attempt at suicide and losing her vision, but that's only one chapter of the book, I believe. And then the rest of it is about her rehabilitation, her life, her sports, her joys. And I tell you, I learned a lot from the book because I am low vision and she is blind. And like most people, I don't really know anyone personally, like in my town that is blind. And I learned a lot from the book as far as the rehabilitation process. And I thought we might talk about that as well as her experiences and how she does things differently. So I welcome Sue Martin, thanks for joining us. Hi, Maury. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. So I heard your podcast last night with the tech doctor, and I thought that was really great. He kind of talked a lot about the first part of the book, and I want to get more into the rehabilitation process because I thought that was so interesting. And as you said at the end of the interview, the book is a lot about joy and just living life and different experiences as a blind individual and just a, a plain individual. We all have unique experiences. So initially, Sue, when you lost your vision, you really delved into the rehabilitation process. For example, you learned Braille with a vengeance probably faster than anybody and also with your <laughs> orientation and mobility instruction, learning to use a white cane. And those two things are difficult. And you seem to jump right into it. And the whole process of learning those things seem to have given you a mission 
you know, not that it was a good thing to go blind, but at least you had a mission. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. One thing that isn't in the book that I think will help explain the eagerness with which I approached my rehabilitation process is, let's see, it was about two and a half months after my suicide attempt. And I had started working with my rehabilitation teacher and my orientation and mobility instructor. I was on some pretty heavy psychiatric medications that were just too much for me. And I actually just lost about three days of my life. So I went back in the hospital to get the medication straightened out. And I think maybe the kind of third day I was in the hospital, I woke up and by then enough of the psychiatric medication was out of my system that I was starting to feel again. And I woke up, I heard a blue jay outside the window and just lost it weeping and gnashing of teeth. And my doctor was an internist. It was very early, but he was there and they called him. And when he came into my room, he sat down in the windowsill and said, what's wrong? And I was like, what's wrong? What do you mean what's wrong? I'm blind. And he said, well, you have two choices. You can lie there and cry and just be a pathetic person, or you can get up and get going with what you need to do to put your life back together and live again. And with that, he walked out of the room. (laughs) Wow. And of course, I wanted to say, you. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I found fascinating, is that there were certain people that said a few words, but the exact right thing at the exact right moment. For example, Oscar, who was your orientation and mobility instructor, and he seemed to only give you the information that he thought you were ready for. And one thing he said was that giving up your past life of vision is what you needed to do to go forward. Right. Yeah. He told me about Father Thomas Carroll and the book that Father Carroll wrote called Blindness, What It Is, What It Does, and How to Live With It. And the first time we talked about it, he told me only about the concept of being willing to give up your life as a sighted person. And it was that notion of death and rebirth, which is, you know, what it kind of felt like to me, that meant the world. I'm a spiritual person. I believe in death and rebirth. You see it everywhere in many religions around the world and in mythology and the natural world. And I was able to latch on to that concept and it carried me forward as I continued to learn skills. It carried me forward in the area of emotional adjustment. Mm -hmm. And I just loved these characters that helped you through all this, like Vera, who came in and she was just seemed to be matter of fact, you know, okay, we're going to cook. And, you know, she helped you figure it out how to cook with no vision. And it was just kind of like, okay, you just do it. You just do it a little different way. And I thought that was (laughs) really cool. And I learned a lot about rehabilitation that 
a person who is blind goes through. And it seems to be very systematic. And in fact, Oscar, I believe, was the one that told you, well, you're blind now and you have to be very systematic. You have to, you know, put things in the same place so you can find them. And this is like very specific training, I think, that a person who loses vision gradually never gets. And so I found all of that really interesting. Yeah. When Oscar said that to me about not having the option of not being systematic any longer, I can remember to this day that it felt like he was looking into my being when he said that. The intensity in his voice, I, I, I remember it to this day. Ah, so it was like, sorry, lady, you have no choice, okay? If you want to be successful and you don't want to struggle every single day about where you put your phone or I was going to say car keys <laughs> or sunglasses or whatever, then, you know, you better buck up and this is how you you have to do it. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot more frustrating than it already is. Yeah. And the other thing that Oscar did that I so appreciated, he taught me why uh, I should do things in a certain way, not just, do, right. you know, and beyond that, he also taught me not just how to get there. He taught me how to get there gracefully. Uh, nice. And I took white cane training last year, but I wouldn't say I was 100% into it. I mean, not even close because, you know, I can see I have normal peripheral vision and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I'm going down the hallway <laughs> and I quickly realized, you know, I'm going to have to be blindfolded or I'm not going to learn a darn thing. So my instructor got me a blindfold and I used that the rest of the time. And another thing I always thought about being blind versus low vision is being blind would be worse, but at least they wouldn't have the eye strain and the headache at the end of the day from using their vision. <laughs> However, However, when I was doing that cane training and after like 45 minutes, maybe an hour, I was just absolutely exhausted because I didn't have my vision. Yeah, yeah. I had to concentrate on everything else. And that kind of blew that theory out the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. And also the matter of having to be systematic. I mean, I am constantly looking for stuff. My sunglasses, just constantly. And it's like, you know, we just don't get that systematic training that you have to have and your life depends on it if you're completely blind. So yeah. I thought those yeah. differences between needing to learn because you'll have less frustration yeah, yeah. And later on, I loved how when you were at the school, you had your training and then you went to college to be a rehab teacher. Was that your original rehab yes. instructor? Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. And you realized that you were going to be <laughs> working with a bunch of old people. <laughs> 
And you were like, I don't know, 26 or 27 or 28. <laughs> so completely understandable. And then another person in your life said the exact right thing at the right moment. And I believe it was Paul. And it can was. You, can you yeah. talk about that, mm-hmm. what he said? Yeah. When I decided to go to graduate school to get a degree in blind rehab, you know, over the course of my career, people have often said to me, oh, what a rewarding career or, oh, how noble you are or something. And the truth is that, (laughs) at least in part, Vera and Oscar had been so important to me that I wanted to be that important to somebody else. (laughs) Sure. But when we had the class on the demographics of blindness, and I learned in particular about the age that most people who have visual impairments are older, and that there are a lot of comorbidities or additional disabilities. I remember I walked into Paul's office, closed the door, and burst into tears and said, I thought I'd be working with people like me. (laughs) He sat me down, and he told me about... I think I'm remembering this correctly. I think in the book, what I say is that I don't remember exactly what he says, but he talked, I listened. And at the end of our talk, I was ready to, you know, keep an open mind. Chapter 26, the title is Two Clients, One Goal. And it's about two of my clients in Maine, George and Gordon, who were both in their 80s. And It was through getting to really know these seniors that I worked with that my whole attitude towards clients who maybe were older or who had additional disabilities just completely did an about face. Paul helped me keep an open mind. And by keeping an open mind, I was able to fall in love with my older clients and you know, people that I, when I was a student, I thought, I don't want to work with people like that. Yeah, I love the story of, was it George the gardener? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So there was a client of Sue's in Maine who was a gardener, but he was older and he was losing his vision and he was very quiet. And Sue was trying to get, you know, well, what do you like to do? And well, he kept saying, you know, I, well, <laughs> I used to garden, but, you know, it's not for me anymore. And you dropped off a CCTV. And after he'd used it for a week or a couple weeks, and you came back and he says, that thing has changed my life or even something more profound than that. And I almost cried because all of us in this business, in the AT business, we have had those moments where, especially older people, where they had something taken away, like reading the newspaper or using the computer or whatever. You show them how they can have those things back again. And you can just, I remember being in tech support and there was this guy who used Zoom text at like 16X. And this was years ago before wow. we had app reader, but we had doc reader. And over the phone, I walked him through starting doc reader where all the text was within the margins and you could just feel it over the phone. He was silent and you could, ch- I could actually feel <laughs> the 
amazement over the phone. So it's those kind of moments that make it all worthwhile. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, George was such a reluctant student. And there were plenty of times when I was teaching that somebody would say, no, I think I'm okay. I don't really think I need your services. And at that point, you know, you just have to sit back and talk and listen. And almost always there would be some little something, you know, that you could grab onto just for a start. And seeing that turnaround from sort of apathy or disinterest, it's just wonderful. It really is. And they're so appreciative, you know, and they know how to express their appreciation and their thank yous. And, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah, it is. It was a great career. And when Jim was in the hospital and you had to kind of go out be on your own as far as you were in this hospital, you had no idea of what the layout was, and you had a doctor stopped and helped you to the room, and the nurses were very kind to you, and you made a big point of making sure they were thanked and appreciated. And I like that too, because I think often we don't take the time to thank people that help us and We do need a lot of help sometimes, so I think that's very important. It is, yeah, and that's even become more important to me. The older I've gotten, the more important I feel like it is, and I want people to feel like we're on the same team, not that I'm just taking, 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 but, you know, that I appreciate their efforts and that I really get it, you know, that they have gone out of their way to help me with something. This book is also a love story. (laughs) And I was just, (laughs) I was just curious about now, Jim, is he still an O&M instructor? No, he's a low vision therapist now. Okay. He's fully sighted and you guys go hiking and skiing and all sorts of exciting things. And we'll talk about that. Okay. (laughs) And I was just wondering how the division of labor works out because of your vision? Like what things does he do that maybe normally you would do? We have chosen to live about 30 miles outside of Birmingham. So we're sort of in the foothills of the Cumberland Plateau and our house is very isolated. It's in the middle of 18 acres. And, you know, Jim has the chore of driving to to Birmingham and back every day, which is, you know, something that I obviously can't do. But I don't really think that... Our division of labor is very much different than it would be if I could see. And early in our relationship, Jim used to say things like, I don't think that your blindness means that you can't take out the trash, but does it? (laughs) It would have been a great... It would have been a great opportunity for me to say, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I would have hopped on that one. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, what about like paying bills? Oh, he does all that. Okay. You need to thank him every day for that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be sure and do that. (laughs) Anyways. Also, what intrigued me about the book is you're such a sports person and I'm a big believer in just physical exercise. I couldn't survive without it. And it seems like you were very active before your blindness and you learned all the things you could do after your blindness. 
like? Go ahead and talk about that. Well, my first day on campus at Western Michigan, I played goalball. <laughs> and for people who don't know what goalball is, it's a team sport that was developed for blind athletes. And everybody's blindfolded, so everybody's on the same visual footing. And the ball has bells in it, and the court is laid out tactually with, with tactual markings on the floor. And there are three people on a team, and the idea is to roll the ball at your, your opposing team and get the ball over the back line. And <clears throat> if you're playing defensively, you listen to where the ball is until you think you know where it, it's you, you just basically throw yourself across the floor and try to block the ball. And it's a very rough sport, but it's so much fun. And for me to have that experience of playing a competitive team sport again, the first day on campus, oh, it was just wonderful. Jim made no assumptions about what I could or couldn't do. Early in our relationship, we went to Lake Michigan and scrambled down this huge hill to the shore. We went skinny dipping and running on the beach. And it's been wonderful to write this book and remember those things again. Mm. We've remembered them together, which has just, it's just been wonderful. It really has. Oh. And when the winter came, by then Jim was doing his internship in Chicago and I was in Elkhart, Indiana. And Jim came to Elkhart every weekend, and he taught me to cross-country ski. And eventually, we bought kayaks, and we've kayaked on lakes and rivers with a gentle current. <laughs> well, I tried whitewater once, but if you can't see and you get in the middle of whitewater, then you can't hear either. And it's just totally disorienting, completely disorienting. I did some whitewater canoeing about 15 years ago, and I just loved it. I had my own solo canoe, and there's nothing like being on top of a, a wave in a whitewater current and being in total control. There's nothing more yeah. relaxing. There are other times when it's completely not relaxing. <laughs> it's life-threatening. Right. But it's those kind of moments that you go for. And I remember just like singing, you know, going down the river while in current. But I was losing my vision and I found I couldn't, I would spot rocks like at the last minute. And people would watch me from yeah, behind and yeah. say, wow, your instincts are really good and you're reacting really well. But it's always at the last second. <laughs> and I found it it wasn't the fun of it is really looking ahead and picking a route. Like, okay, I'm going to go to the left yeah. of the ra yeah. that rock and then swing to the right. And and that was the fun and challenging part of it. It wasn't fun anymore to just be reacting. Plus, I had spilled a few times in the Dead River, and that was really scary in Maine. Oh, Ooh. <laughs> well, um, Jim and I have been whitewater rafting and had a blast. And after our last whitewater rafting adventure, which was in July of this year, we decided that next time we're either going to take a raft, just the two of us, or possibly a canoe. And the really fun thing, and I think that would be 
really fun because I could teach Jim how to read water. I mean, I can still remember from my sighted life when I did whitewater, I can describe to him how to read water. And then if he's in the stern and I'm in the bow, he'll be the one who tells me, draw left, draw right, pry left, pry right. And I think that we can capture that mastery and that thrill together again. That's amazing. (laughs) Because I was thinking about your whitewater kayaking and stuff and like, no way could anyone do that. They can't see. But now you've discovered that that could work because you're doing the physical work in the back, steering the ship. And he's, oh, Mm -hmm. I like that. (laughs) So any adventures coming up in your life that you want to share? Will? (laughs) (laughs) The kind of cool thing is, even though Jim and I have worked in the field of blind rehab together, well, I don't work in in blind rehab anymore, um, but for over 20 years, we were both in the field of blind rehab. We seldom actually worked together. We did a lot of stuff outside of work, mostly with children, that it was really play. I mean, we taught a bunch of people how to hike. You know, we've taught people how to play goalball. And just in the course of being with individuals who had blindness or low vision, we certainly grabbed on to teachable moments when we saw them. But what we're doing around my book, it's like we're really working together for the first time mm. since we've known each other. <laughs> And it's so much fun. You know, on our Sunday morning walk, Jim will say, hey, why don't you write a blog post about fill in the blank? Or we'll be bringing wood in from the woodshed. We, we heat um, partly with wood. We have a wood stove and a wood-burning fireplace. And, you know, we'll be stacking wood in the rack on the back porch. And, and Jim will say, hey, you know, here's an idea for where you might try putting your book. You know, we're just having a blast. In December, I have a talk at the International Orientation and Mobility Conference in New Orleans. And for the first time, I'm going to be in a booth in an exhibit hall instead of on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll be an experience. And so, you know, we've been traveling. Well, let's see. We've gone to Savannah, Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, and Bangor, Maine, for me to deliver talks and, you know, sell the book. Then in, I think, March, I'll be the keynote speaker at the America's Guide Dog Conference in St. Louis. So, you know, we're starting to put some miles on the car, having this adventure together. We're, we're just having a blast. We really are. That's great. So that's a really good test of of your future retirement, that you're, you're going to have a lot of fun together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And I just wanted to add one little thing. I did a Veterans Day blog post for Veterans Day this year. And I told the story of two men who were like fathers to me. One was Lee McGriff and the other was Ben Branscombe. And Mr. McGriff was a naval aviator during World War II flying off of aircraft carriers in the Pacific Ocean. He did night flights off of aircraft carriers. And Dr. Branscombe was in World War II and Korea. And 
the blog post, it's just such a sweet, a sweet post. It, It really is to remember these two men who, who really were like fathers to me. And if you want to read the blog post, if you just go to my website, outofthewhirlpool.com, and put um, Veterans Day in the search field, it'll come up. But Sunday afternoon, one of my best friends from childhood, Addie McGriff, and her husband, David, Addie McGriff Walters, sorry, <laughs> and her husband, David, had a book signing party for me. And Dr. Branscombe mm. was there. And it was so Cool. It was so cool. And Maury, I saw people I haven't seen in 30 years. It really, it was so much fun. Just so much fun. Everything around this book is just fun. And to think that the whole thing started because I tried to end my life. It's just amazing where life has, has taken me. It really is. Yeah, it's amazing. And if you ever want to travel up to Vermont, I know a little bookstore that's about 200 yards from my house that I'm <laughs> sure I can convince them. <laughs> Sounds good. It's privately owned. It's like Sherman's bookstore in Bar Harbor, privately owned. And <laughs> the first place the book went was Sherman's in Bar Harbor. <laughs> I had my sister go down and purchase one of those, by the way. <laughs> Oh, good, good. <laughs> yes. So she's reading it oh, now. Oh, great. Okay. Any bookstore can order it now. Fantastic. So if you want the book in print, you can go to any bookstore and ask for Out of the Whirlpool. <laughs> okay. It's amazing. Just amazing. Well, Sue, thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed this talk. We've been talking, we talked a few times uh, while I was in tech support, and I remember you, and now we get to talk on <laughs> fun circumstances. Yeah, no, so th- I've really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. This has been wonderful, Maury. Thank you. Okay. Well, you have yourself a great day and till we, I'm sure we'll meet physically someday. <laughs> we will. Maybe we'll, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> maybe we'll be retired in Acadia National Park. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Thanks, Maury. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so five tacos, a cheese, and a large soda. That's $10,012. Please drive around. Wait, 10000 what? It's obvious you're buzzed and driving. I've only had a few. I'm fine. Yeah, the food's 12 bucks, but getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Please drive around. Actually, just park and come in. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, Joe Steinkamp here and doing something a little different with the app review. But before I do that, uh, I want to mention something about that wonderful interview you just heard Maury Hill do with Sue Martin. This is just a small version of the interview. There's actually an extended version of this particular interview available if you purchase Sue's book. So if you purchase Sue's book from uh, Out of the Whirlpool, uh, you will actually hear a longer version of this particular show. And that's part of the co-promotion that we have going on with Sue. Uh, We really appreciate her coming on board and doing a chat with us on SamNet. Uh, We had an author's night with Sue that went really, really well. And we're going to be doing more things like that in the future with uh, some of our guests up as a part of the In It to Win It program. You'll learn more about that at Serotech, S-E-R-O-T-E-K dot com. Now, back to the reviews. Now, I'm going to do something a little different. 
I'm going to talk about an app uh, that is called The Walk. And that is why I'm outside. That's uh, actually me here with a field recorder, walking around in circles in my backyard for a reason. And the reason is that The Walk, from the makers of Zombies Run, who you might have heard uh, talk on Triple Click Home, they uh, developed an app that is, well based on walking. Uh, not every blind person and not every sighted person wants to go around running uh, to unlock story elements. And so they came up with a version of the same kind of app, but this time it's based on walking. So you have a story and you unlock more parts of the story by completing missions or completing uh, the ability to walk for an unlimited amount of time. And that's why I'm actually out here in the back walking, um, because I'm trying to unlock another story mission. You start off uh, sort of in England, and you are encountered with a situation that is brought to you like a radio play in headphones. And it then becomes kind of a spy drama, and... All these things ensue as you unlock more things. So the idea is, is that you're getting healthy. You're doing the right thing by walking personally in the real world, but in the virtual world, you're actually unlocking more story elements to explain what happened, why this explosion just happened. Why are you even involved as this in the first place? And so much more. Uh, you actually uh, can use this with voiceover to some degree, uh, although there are new patches coming out for it, I'm using it on Android. And uh, the makers of this app, uh, Six to Start, had been on Triple Click Home and said, well, you know, we would love to say that it works with Android, but we don't have a lot of people using it on Android and letting us know if it works with TalkBack. So I purchased the app, and this is a paid app, unfortunately. It's not a free app like some of the ones I've talked about before. But it's not that big. Right now it's, I think, $3.99, still on sale for the holidays on both iOS and Android. And the app itself works fairly well with TalkBack. You can do some swiping and you can do things to get to most of the controls. The controls are very simple. And I'm going to actually do a demo of those controls on a later episode when I have unlocked more stuff. And if you want to play along with me, uh, follow me on Twitter at Ranger Station, or send in your accomplishments on the walk by sending it into resources at serotalk.com. Because I'm going to do this throughout the year because I'm going to be walking a whole lot in San Diego and, of course, in Orlando and our other SPN coverages for the summer conventions. And I'm going to have this app going, and I'm hopefully going to unlock a lot more stuff as I go. And I'm going to give you progress reports, both on Twitter and, of course, here on High Contrast on how this goes. And with low vision, you can see the map. It's very high contrasty in that there's black and white on lots of the controls. The map is easy to see. And by unlocking more of these story elements within the walk, you actually may simulate walking from one side of the UK to the other. Or at least that's what it says in the documentation at thewalkgame.com. To learn more about, of course, this game or any of the other app reviews, head on over to serotalk.com, S-E-R-O-T-A-L-K.com, and search for high contrast. You can get to all of our previous shows and see all my other previous app reviews. Or, like I said, go get the walk now and let me know how many things you've unlocked and we'll do this all together and get healthy and have a good time walking. For high contrast, I'm Joe Steinkamp throwing it back to Rodney. Rodney, I gotta go walk in some more circles. Why don't you take it from here? 
Well, that concludes this episode of High Contrast here on the Sarah Talk Podcast Network. Our thanks go out to Sue Martin for joining us today to talk about her book, Out of the Whirlpool, which you can buy at Amazon.com as well as other bookstores. You can get information about the book at OutOfTheWhirlpool.com. You can check out Sue's blog at suewijlmartin.blogspot.com. That's S-U-E-W-I-Y-G-U-L-M-A-R-T-I-N.blogspot.com. And be sure to like the book on Facebook by searching for Out of the Whirlpool. And if you would like to drop us an email here, you can do so by sending that to resources at serotalk.com. Now, as always, we'll give the shameless plugs. You can follow me on Twitter. That's Rodney Edgar. That's at R-O-D-N-E-Y-E-D-G-A-R. And you can check out my website over at techaccessweekly.com. You can follow Mari Hill on Twitter at Mari Elizabeth, M-A-U-R-I-E, Elizabeth, on Twitter. And check out her musings over at the Zoomed In blog at aisquared.com slash blog. And our Missing in Action guy, you can check out Jeremy Curry over at gwmicro.com and follow Jeremy underscore Curry on Twitter. And his substitute periodically is Byron Lee, who you can find over at byronlee.com and byron27 on Twitter. And our mysterious producer from the background is Joe Steinkamp. You can find him on Twitter at Ranger Station and check out all the podcast information over at serotalk.com. Check out products over at serotech.com. Be sure to check out iBlink Radio for iOS and Android. And if you would like to get a free seven-day trial of SamNet, you can do so by heading over to sa2go.com. Again, this is High Contrast on SPN. Until next time. <laughs>